This is Isaka's Page 2 Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Kevin Key, Isaka's IT Professional Practices Lead. Joining me is Cindy Baxter, Director of What's the Risk? She is here to chat about her recently released Isaka Journal article titled Transformative Power of Mobility. Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. Kevin, it's so great to talk to you again. Great. So before we dive into your article, uh, Cindy, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and your experience for our audience? Sure. Um, well, I, I'd like to say that as Isaka faces the 50th anniversary, I have um, just had my one year anniversary uh, writing journal articles for Isaka. I absolutely love it. Um, I am the um, founder of What's the Risk LLC. It's a audit and governance practice focused on smaller businesses, giving those entrepreneurs, if you will, and, and smaller organizations under 50, you know, 100 to 50 people, an opportunity to really look at their resilience and ensure that they have a backup plan. So it's pretty exciting work because as opposed to what I did before where I took a chunk of time in healthcare, a chunk of time in banking, yet another chunk of time in insurance with a foundation of technology with AT&T, I really get to live in, in the shoes of somebody else. And that kind of resonates for this article as well, Kevin. Awesome, well, Cindy, it's a pleasure to have you. So. Let's get right into it. So how did you come to choose the people uh, for your interviews? So when I looked at this article and it said where it started to talk about workforce in 2025, I thought, well, I don't really want to talk about what I want to look at. And I was very keen on making sure that I had the opportunity to look at various industries, just as I was mentioning. So the first thing I wanted to do was look at three different backgrounds. Um, and the interviewees that I selected had enough work experience. Everybody had at least worked 10 years and, and one of the interviewees had worked for longer than 20 years. They had enough experience and had a background in what they were doing so that they could reflect on where they had been and where they wanted to go. And that was what I was looking for. They also made very different career choices. And to be honest, Kevin, one of the things that was surprising to me is one of the interviewees was in a career that I didn't anticipate. I thought she was doing something else and it turned out to be clean energy analytics. Um, and it, it turned and turned into a really interesting discussion. But once again, I chose the individuals knowing that I could really triangulate about what does mobility really mean if you're in a stationary career, or at least I thought it was stationary, or you were in a highly mobile career, which then I found that individual was interested in having more stability, maybe being in the office more. So, so that was another reason. So I think having my perception going and choosing different backgrounds um, different career paths, and what I thought mobility would mean to people gave me the opportunity to learn and present, hopefully to our readers, 
some really thought-provoking information about perhaps what they are doing or where their careers can go. So you were talking about the criteria for the interviewees and, and how you were choosing them, but was there a common theme between them? So I must say that last year I wrote an article on resilience and, and surviving when you're small. And I wrote out, I always prepare my articles by outlining everything to keep organized. And I learned my lesson last year that if you decide you're going to interview somebody, you could probably have a couple of topics, but everything else is off the table because people take you to very, very different places. Um, so I found that um, the theme that I had chosen um, was something where the interviewees took me uh, to a different place, but everything, in fact, in very large categories was very thematic. The need for data accuracy, the need for availability, which I took for granted, um, the need to maybe break out of a mold because after all, I did lead them with the thought of what do you want to do? What do you wish for? Forget 2025 because some people said, oh, that's just three years from now. I said, think about the quarter century. Where do you want to be? And that opened their minds in terms of where they felt they could make a difference for their own lives and that of others. And there were very common themes of let me have that availability no matter where I want to work. Let me have something I can count on in terms of accuracy and completeness. And let me have access to people I need to complete the work I'm doing, whether it's a specialist team that might be halfway around the world for the healthcare industry or checking on the quality of a plant um, in northern North America when you're a retail supplier and distributor. Yeah, we're seeing uh, availability, that, that topic being more and more prevalent uh, these days. But what makes the topic of mobility so important? I really had jumped off of the theme of in this pandemic, people really are looking to figure out where they work. And, and mobility is not working remote. Remote is just one aspect of mobility. And when I went into the interviews, again, without a script, without saying my, my, you know, my outline is this, I found that people really saw the world as being very driven by where they needed to be to do the work in all cases. So the situation with Rosalie Sherman, who is a nurse practitioner, was what I thought was going to be the most stable. I'm working in a hospital. Yes, I push my laptop around on an in-house network. But no, she envisions healthcare going into the community, something that in the industry they call in one aspect concierge care, where you really go to where people are and where the need is. And, and that really starts to have a social justice theme. Then you move to the clean energy, the individual who does 
um, analytics and presents to governments and municipalities and, and of all things, sovereign um, Native American nations. And she had a very different take on availability and again, being out where she needed to be so that she could make a, an, not just an accurate, but a quick assessment and not having availability again, you know, as we're talking, Kevin, you know, that, that we all take for granted, but not having availability would really impact her ability to deliver her work and deliver her work on a timely basis. And when you think about all the different politics that are involved with clean energy, getting your analysis to the forefront so it can be considered is really a big deal. And then the same thing in retail. Do I really have to work today? I mean, that was not what I expected to hear from the entrepreneur I spoke to regarding retail distribution. And he had um, lots of experience doing it. And he had started in, in corporate America, if you will. But, you know, now he he can look at the quality of what he's providing to consumers, not by going there but by using technology, but then he still needs to go to distribution centers in order to, you know, manage his product. So he has this, this interesting model of what needs to be available to him. Is he mobile? Yes. Does he want perhaps the quiet and the separation in what he considers a personal aspect versus a work aspect? Yeah, in fact, it's driven him to have an office now that's co-located with his warehouse. So availability, the needs in terms of getting what was important to keep the business running was was very interesting. So you mentioned uh, the nursing aspect in healthcare, but I was hoping you could expand a little bit on how you see the healthcare sector changing the most going forward, especially during the pandemic. The healthcare industry. I certainly had viewed as being mobile in terms of I work on the floor, the hospital floor, I have a laptop, I move it from one end of the floor to the other end of the floor. I come in to talk to a patient before surgery, I pull the notes again off of the rolling laptop, and I don't really go anywhere. But I think the pandemic has done a couple of really important things. First of all, as I learned from from my interview with Rosalie, a lot of even mobility is is gated by the payers. And by that, I mean the insurance community that provides health care to to the American population and, and North American population. So if you think of what's permissible, um, Rosalie had noted that telemedicine was not an approved way to practice prior to the pandemic. When the reality of risk came in with COVID-19, that all changed. And she now found that telemedicine was something that they could integrate even into post-transplant care. So so when we think of something that you would consider to need that intense personal contact, the ability to look at a patient and see healthiness, 
you consider the need for that face-to-face relationship. But in fact, what I learned during the interview was that there are a number of benefits that Rosalie in particular was able to establish. First and foremost in what she is doing, she seeks a long-term relationship with her patients. And I think if we look at the healthcare industry in general, healthcare is trying to to get to that balance of longer-term, better listening by patients. And I, there's a particular quote in my article that Rosalie said that really resonated with me. If you think of the pandemic, people really started a continuing trend to manage their own health care. So it had gone, I think, from a couple of generations ago where you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you what's wrong with you, you say, yes, I'll do whatever you say, to then a much more informed, you know, prior generation that said, wait a minute, I can look this stuff up. Why are you suggesting this? And then the pandemic hit with our current scenario and it's, wait a minute, I really don't want to see the doctor. I don't want to sit in a waiting room. I want to get out of this hospital. I think I'll Google it. And I think the change that the pandemic and certainly the vision that Rosalie sees is that there is, there's a point where we bring it back to the center. We certainly don't want as a society to have individuals who are disconnected from their healthcare. Informed healthcare has been a wonderful thing. Collaboration with doctors, and Rosalie attested to this fact, makes their work more effective because when you participate, then the outcome is much better. But when, again, you think of how do I enable things beyond my patients looking something up on the web or using some kind of technology or search engine to take a whole bunch of data in their lab information, which is now available to them online, down to test results and doctor's notes and all kinds of things. How do you take a patient that has all this technical information available to them and make sure that they don't go out and self-medicate or self-diagnose? And telemedicine, that improved relationship where it might be a mobile unit going out to the communities to make healthcare part of how a person lives as opposed to a single appointment is, is really where things seem to be headed. And the pandemic definitely helped by moving the needle over, making healthcare via conferences like this, um, via other mobile methodologies using the technology that we have, the pandemic definitely made it much more palatable to insurance companies who are paying for it, as well as patients who are receiving the care. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't really given uh, that much thought to uh, that the healthcare industry of the pandemic and, and what you were saying along those lines. But To take it back to uh, clean energy for a little bit, what is the most significant role of data in advancing clean energy? 
So clean energy is, you know, and I think it's one of the common themes I found between the three interviewees, very different career paths, but um, the, the necessity to have really accurate data on a very timely basis is crucial. And I didn't quite realize that until a couple of things happened. First of all, hearing from Linda in terms of how she did her job, how she tried to be selectively mobile in terms of what she did. So going out to a site, but since she does that kind of work on a consultative basis, mobility, meaning a trip in a car, train, or airplane is chargeable to her clients. So that's that's not always the most competitive way to do things. So she now has selective mobility that allows her to go where she needs to go And then she can use mobile applications or mobile technology to get her analytics done and to investigate and provide a proposal for clean energy that's viable and believable because it's accurate, because the data is there, because the information that's relevant to the site and the community that requires energy is validated and verified. So the challenge, of course, is that Clean energy is something that has to be considered by municipalities, at least here in the United States, by the federal government. And it's a lot of regulation, whether it's our standard utility response in terms of using uh, petroleum or electricity, wind or solar. All of those evaluations are competing technologies that someone like Linda has to assess. And a number of different people, of course, are lobbying for attention. The standard energy industries, um, you know, the petroleum industry, oil, gas, of course, are predominant and the forces that promote them are are very strong. Clean energy has a lot of global traction And certainly there is a lot of concern with climate change to getting that to the forefront. But when it really comes down to implementation, somebody like Linda has to have the right data available quickly so that she has a seat at the table. And that's where mobility comes in. It's interesting to think about the fact that we don't all live in a city. Of course, we know that. But you don't, I certainly did not think about that fact when I thought of a consultant needing to do an accurate analysis of does solar make more sense or or does wind make more sense or can we even enable this because there might not even be access. And in many cases, she finds for some of the clients she has and she gave Native American sovereign nations as an example, that there really isn't even access that's reliable and available for the communities she is trying to analyze and push alternative power solutions. So then energy alternatives, which we all hope for, and certainly the latest infrastructure bill has been passed in the United States, advocates doesn't go anywhere unless the consultants like Linda, who are analyzing the opportunities, can actually get access 
and use technology to evaluate does power stay on versus sending a truck out and say, oh, could you go read that meter because I can't connect to anything. So I don't know how it's performing now. They send a truck of guys out 20, 30 miles to go read a small meter or even call a neighbor and say, hey, can you go check and see if that power plant is on? It sounds like bygone era, but it's not. It's the reality today. Absolutely. So what about the vendor management front? So what are the biggest challenges you see with vendor management? I think vendor management has displayed itself as a challenge for um, in a couple of situations. Certainly, it's a very global world. We are facing a number of considerations where we look to to shift supply um, in a flexible environment, certainly having mobility for some of the products and services that people want and being able to track them through technology are a really big deal. So I think Ian, who had his retail distribution, had a couple of vendors and really faced challenges or not even challenges, but he faced challenges in terms of making sure the vendor relationship would work. What was interesting was he didn't feel compelled to hop on a plane or get in a car to go look at the quality. He had really enabled a set of skills that he had and technology that he used pervasively to, on a very quick reaction time, look at what a vendor was doing, identify if it was successful, the right quality that he anticipated, if the accuracy was truly there. And in one case, he's used a vendor successfully. It's a strong relationship. And even though he's entirely mobile um, and does not see that vendor, it's the backbone of what he does and what his company does. On the other hand, a situation that he had with another vendor simply was not producing the quality he expected, not because he went and did a tour, not because he had an auditor go up and and check things, but because he had the right data available to him to make an assessment to say, this is not the kind of quality I need for my business. We all look at what are the risks of any business. One of them is reputational. And he had had decided that the best way forward was to drop that vendor, and he did. So you mentioned uh, risk and audit. So how much untapped potential do you see for risk and audit professionals in the context of this expanded mobility? Well, Kevin, I think that's what was so exciting about writing this article and interviewing people. When you step into somebody else's shoes, and you listen to what they envision for the future, I think that's when you realize the potential for your own career and for your own profession. I think what it emphasized to me was that mobility is an enabler that's constantly changing. From my perspective, I think that risk and audit professionals have a huge opportunity and we can help lead. The way we lead is by getting involved either through our employers, 
or through our volunteer activity, because there's so many ways to contribute, to look at how mobility can empower certain careers. So sometimes I think of my audit work and I say, well, you know, am I here to say no? Am I here to say, I'm not really sure if this complies? Did you follow this structure? Instead, it's a matter of updating the policies, updating the way we govern, and most important, looking at the technology. Is there a better, faster way that not only clients use technology, but that we as a, an information systems and audit profession can use technology ourselves to speed up the process to enable the people that I interviewed um, to pursue their career and to continue to make technology advance. So I would say that some of the key areas for information systems, audit and risk professionals are the governance arena, looking at mobility, how can we structure it in a number of different industries as was evident with the people I interviewed? How do we structure an improved governance model to recognize perhaps new risks? How do we reprioritize things so that people are not held back by concerns that maybe are not concerns anymore? How do they reprioritize things that have changed? For example, privacy, which really, if you think of it, impacts all three of the people that I interviewed, either from a competitive aspect with the retail distributor or from a privacy and HIPAA perspective with the healthcare provider. So how we evaluate those risks, how we then help our clients reestablish their priorities so that they can establish a governance model that works for them and considers technology to be a positive instead of a holdback is really very important. And I think we add the credibility because we have the discipline to investigate, to evaluate, and then to recommend. So, so again, I think that's where our profession can really add a lot of value. In addition, I think we can, because we are technologists, become role models. And by that, I mean, there are opportunities to embrace new technologies as risk professionals and as auditors. It does mean that we put ourselves into the same risk category. It does mean that maybe instead of a statistical sampling method, we use predictive technology to decide how do we audit or where do we audit or do we use a monitoring control and evaluate that effectiveness as opposed to say just a detective control that may not be as effective or what kind of a hybrid model do we create so that we show and we are working as quickly and accurately as we can because we're using the technology that we envision for our clients. So I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity for us. Those two areas in terms of rejiggering how our clients see the world, making them open their minds, just as I did with my interviewees saying, look, think about what you want to be, not what you are. And then the possibilities become endless. And then leading the charge. 
uh, by using that technology ourselves. So it's very exciting times and it's pretty worldwide open. Uh, it's just a matter of what each of us would like to do and putting down some points in how we can get there. Cindy, you talked about um, receiving some of the unexpected answers and feedback for the interview. Uh, is there any other examples of like being kind of surprised at some of the answers that you got? Yeah, I would have to say the one that surprised me, they, there were surprises everywhere. I certainly did not think about having zero access for a clean energy analysis. I didn't really envision um you know, a mobile medical unit where um, Rosalie could sit there and call an expert in Philadelphia sitting in California on demand while the patient's sitting there. I didn't think of that. But I think one of the most surprising aspects was when Ian said, hey, you know, I, I can do what I want, where I want to do it. If it's a sunny day, I call it a vacation day. But then he went on to say, you know, I really have gotten to the point where I want to have an office. I did not expect that. So maybe he's the new world of mobility. It's tapping into the flexibility and the technology, but recognizing that there may be some hardwired day. So we can't just throw out the stationary offices anymore people will have a lot of choices available to them and creativity means they'll make those choices and we have to be ready. Cindy, you provided great insight with mobility in the workforce, but is there anything else you would like to mention here today? I think that the only thing that I would add, and I probably talked about it throughout the whole time is, again, audit and risk professionals, I think have a wonderful ability to be really good listeners to abandon where you are as a person or as in your career and jump into where somebody is. I think that coupled with the fact that we tend to be investigators, no matter what technology you're examining, no matter what risk you're evaluating, we all are ready to ask that next question. Why does it look like this? Is this really the way it's supposed to operate? And I think when you start to do that kind of investigation, you can start to think about why not? Why can't I try to do this a little bit differently? How do I enable something that's still safe, still private, and maybe move things forward faster than I could the old way. And at the end of the day, we know change management disciplines. So it's not that we can't enable some of this new stuff. We can take what we know as a foundational structure, whether it's change management, whether it's a DevOps, whether it's quantum in a predictable environment, and we can make that part of the day-to-day -day world. And that's really exciting. So I look forward to it. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this topic for much longer, but that's all the time we have left today. Cindy, thanks again for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been such a pleasure, Kevin. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a great opportunity. Awesome. So if you're interested in learning more, you can click the link in the episode details to access Cindy's full ISACA journal. I'm Kevin Key, and thanks for tuning in. 
thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode.